When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. Jane Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witten, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in every single one of your favorite movies. JD, will there be learning? Yep. Will there be science? Yep. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? You betcha. You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> oh, for sure. I love when that accent comes out. It's my roots. Um, <laughs> it's part of my roots. It's not like yeah. my roots roots. Not right. the rootsiest of my roots. My roots is more like um, mom, dollar, backpack, clock. Okay. Uh, tanning. Go tanning. Mm. Look, look fantastic. That's <laughs> that's my roots. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Every once in a while they come out. My dad is from upstate New York, and there are only a few words that he said that were weird to me. Like he would say, um, sixth grade, sixth grade. Mm. And he also uh, the days of the week were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> and I once pointed that out to him, and he was like, I don't talk different. And I was like, oh. I just thought I was like, but that's your nerve. My mom says onion, onion, (laughs) onions, (laughs) and balsamic vinegar. (laughs) Um, yeah, I feel like this game is not as fun with my parents (laughs) 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 because of English as a second language. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I will say, my husband says height instead of height. One of my favorite jokes on 30 Rock is when she's like super <laughs> exhausted and tired and she's been eating nothing but cheesy blasters. And she's like, I just spent five minutes on the subway trying to figure out how to spell the word height. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because it's like length, length, width, height. height. Yeah. And he stands by it. So, you know, it's but every time we love I'm you, like... John, it's not a word, but it <laughs> is a right. common misunderstanding. I yeah. grew up saying height as well. Yeah. What's his height? Yeah. yeah. It I mean, really? Height. Yeah. I grew up saying that. Uh, I don't say it now because I'm a doctor. Is this speech therapy? I'm an educator. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I think probably that joke on 30 Rock made me be like, oh, that is wrong. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. No, it's been brought to his attention. I think he is just, you know, 
It makes sense to him. (laughs) I very intentionally like chose to lose my accent when I started college because college, when I started college, because every time I would say something, it would be a damn conversation. And I got so sick of like saying like, oh, I'm going to go get some pop. And having people be like, "Mm, did you say pap? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'll just say soda. I literally don't care. (laughs) Like, I actually do not care about the word pop. Right. It's what I grew up saying. And yet now I say soda because I just can't. Right. It is interesting. Like, I have also one, like, memory from college where I said horrible. Horrible. (laughs) Orange juice. (laughs) I was like, horrible. That's horrible. That's horrible. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I was like at lunch. It was like first week. A freshman year. Yeah. Like, where are you from? I'm like, everyone here is from Long Island. So, like, I don't know why you're Everyone's- freaking out. But <laughs> <laughs> it was pointed out to me, and I, like, never said it like that again. Horrible. That's- Horrible. I, like, practiced it. Oh, yeah. See, when I came back from the first year of, of college, college, the first year of college, I came back home, and I was talking to my friend Sarah, and I asked <laughs> for a dollar. And she was like, I'm sorry, a dollar, a dollar. And I was like, sorry, a, do- a dollar. Can I have a dollar? You have a dollar. Yeah. And I had to like relearn it. My friend Cheyenne once told me about a story when she was like at a baby shower, like filming it or something. She's a photographer. She does the like, and I think probably some videography stuff or maybe she was just attending, but she remembers this moment of realizing she left Michigan and came back and she heard a conversation between a mother and a daughter trying to find the card that was... <laughs> A part of the gift and the mom and the daughter are like is it at the top of the box or the bottom of the box look at the top of the box maybe it's, check, did you check the bottom of the box look at the bottom of the box uh and that for me like forever lives as like the michigan accent yeah fantastic yeah dance class that'll mom. do it clock yeah. yeah so those are my uh words should we talk about this movie there's so yeah, much to let's, talk about let's, let's chat let's chat about it um should we let's let's synopsize but for those of you listening, this movie is what two and a half hours long. It's a Marvel joint. It's you know? a Marvel joint. <laughs> it is a it's a Marvel joint. <laughs> Seems appropriate when talking about this film, yeah. given that I always think of a Spike Lee joint, right? Uh, always famously. Um, so we're gonna put this into some real tight bullet points mm-hmm. because four hundred thousand things happen in this movie. Um, I mean, yeah, you're being like introduced to an entire like world nation, world yeah. culture and, group of people, you know, politics. It's there's like some Lion King elements, which is Hamlet. There, yeah. Yeah. Um, there you go. But there's also some like really interesting, um, interesting moments. Um for those of you listening, if you uh, are going to say this in advance, if there are additional things y'all saw that are important or big or cool, like neither one of us is a black person. And it is important to know, like this film was made by black people and for black people. And that is a huge thing of what we love about it. But it also means we're going to talk about a lot of points today and we're going to miss some. And if you want to call in, leave a voice memo on our DMs to tell us what we got wrong, tell us what we got right, or tell us what just what we missed. We would love that. And we would be yeah. thrilled to include that in another, in next week's episode. Yes. Um, Cause like we're, we're not all of it is for us. And I'm sure right. there are lots of things that are just going to go over our heads. Uh, and that's great. It's supposed to. 
Yeah. Um, because not everything is for me. Right. Um, just the good stuff. Uh anyways, <laughs> so uh T'Challa is this this film starts out with T'Challa. Well, yeah, it starts from Civil War, right? Because right. this Captain America has, Civil War. This kingdom the, has the king lost of Wakanda the king. was killed. Yeah. Um, yes, which brought the character of Black Panther into Captain America Civil War because he thought Bucky Barnes did it, who plays the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't. And then they're friends in the end. Um, uh, anyway, so that introduced the the Prince T'Challa, uh, son of T'Chaka, King of Wakanda, who was killed in the last, ep- last episode, in the last movie. So here yeah. we are um, entering into... Uh, they go to a flashback Oakland in the 1990s, Oakland, California, where you see um, a man and his dude friend who are like waiting for people to come by. They knock on the door and it's these like African women with spears. And the guy's like, all right, let them in. It lets them in. Uh, and you sort of very quickly understand that he is the brother of the king of Wakanda who's been sent to Oakland to. Uh, not spy so much as like understand the world outside of Wakanda. Yeah, they definitely um, have like citizens of Wakanda as spies in different parts of the world. Right, because what and and we learn later, Wakanda is a secret nation. It's mm-hmm. it's not known to the world. Uh, they they know it exists, but they don't know that it is this like technological wonder. Yeah. So I don't remember the character's name, brother, dude. It's Sterling K. Brown. That's all I know. Sterling K. Brown, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is the brother. And so you quickly hear that there is a deal where vibranium is about to be sold to a man whose last name is Claw, played by Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. And hey, Gordon. Um, and uh, this vibranium is a really valuable resource for Wakanda. And this deal is sort of a black market trade that like it's not supposed to be sold out of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. He denies it. And then his dude who's there supporting him, he denies it to the Black Panther, the king. And the dude who's with him is like, JK, he did do this. I'm also a spy for Wakanda. Yeah. And the Black Panther kills him. The brother. The brother. He kills his own brother. Yeah. There is a real Lion King moment, except. It's the cousin. It's the cousin. Yeah. Um, Instead, it's like if Scar had a son. Right. Uh, anyways, so cut to today. Um, it's the coronation for T'Challa. Mm-hmm. Um, after his dad has died, and all these different tribes come to uh see the the sort of coronation. There's the river tribe. There's um the herding tribe. There's uh the the trading tribe. There's like a like a merchant tribe. The merchant mm-hmm. tribe. There's a bunch of different tribes, and all of them are very importantly um, dressed in clothing that mimics uh, different um, ethnic groups within Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. And then they're sort of like a, a little bit grander, a little more fashion. Um, and actually, fun fact, did you know this is the only Marvel movie in history to win uh, Oscars? And it has three Oscars. Uh, wow. It won for costume design. Uh, it won for the soundtrack. Um, 
and it won, I think like something like production design or something like mm-hmm. that. It's the only one. There have been lots of nominations for these different like technical aspects of Marvel, but this is the only movie to win. And it has three. Um, huge deal. Also, the costume designer designed the costumes for things like Selma, Malcolm X. Like she is um, like she is a specialist in like black clothing. Right. And black black fashion, black style, black garb. And so they bringing her in for this movie was like pretty cool in general. She's kind of the go-to expert in a lot of she's yeah. Also, she became the first black woman to ever win the best costumer. Uh, Amazing. Oscar. Um, anyways, so uh I watched a whole featurette on the last Black Panther movie. Gotcha. Um, I cried because it talks a lot about um uh why can I not remember the name of Chadwick Boseman? There it is. Uh, I cried a lot because it uh, talks about yeah. Chadwick Boseman. So yeah, anyways, yeah. Uh, in the movie, Katu, 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 uh, of all the tribes, there's this one tribe, um, the Mountain Tribe, and their du- big dude, M'Baku, comes to challenge him for the crown. Doesn't quite win. He lets him tap out, and then he goes away peacefully, but like mad. Mm-hmm. Um, T'Challa is king. Then what? Then they're trying to track down Claw. Um, right. He killed uh, the what's his name? Um, the is that the herding tribe? Like their leader? Yeah, he killed the the parents of um, uh, T'Challa's best friend, who. Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who has an Oscar for Get Out, mm-hmm. right? For Get Out? I think so. Um, yeah, he was the star of Get Out. Daniel Kaluuya, hugely successful actor. Um, this was a big part of like the beginning of his success. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya's parents. So it's his best friend's parents were killed. And he's like, we're going to go get Claw. They go to South well, Korea. I mean, I, yeah, I think there is like in this uh, skirmish to get the vibranium to Claw that uh, the like, uh, uncle or sterling k brown's character was involved in a lot of people died a lot of people died and so there's this huge kind of like people are really mad about this guy still existing they see he's kind of went underground but now he's like resurfaced and so they want to track this guy down but there's a lot of like internal conflict that t'challa is feeling about you know how to handle this but they go out they're on a mission they go to South Korea because they hear that like a deal is happening there. Um, they see Claw uh, Martin Freeman's there because he's like part of the CIA, right? And you know he doesn't really understand just like the rest of the world, like what right. is Wakanda all about. And so they're kind of like, you know, not really trusting each other, but have to trust each other because they have a common enemy. And so, uh, you know, there's a bit of stepping on toes with like who wants to get Claw because he's wanted by different right. governments. Um, and so there's this huge shootout at this club. They capture Claw. Uh, he is being questioned. Claw tells Martin Freeman, like, there's all this vibranium there. I barely like stole 1% of it. Right. Um, which was news to Martin Freeman. But then his buddies, Claw's buddies, um, like explode a wall, break him out. Right. Importantly, and Claw's buddies is Michael yeah. B. Jordan. Yep. Um, Who is uh we don't know yet, I guess, at this point in the movie, he or plays like we're Eric not totally Killmonger. sure. 
So yeah. we do know through a little bit, we know he got an establishing scene where he like has a great moment of like being in a museum and being like, I'd like to buy this African art. And the woman's like, oh, it's not for sale. And he goes, oh, really? How'd you get it? Where'd you get yeah. it from? And yeah. then kills her. Um, so we know he's like not super nice, but uh, yeah. So Michael B. Jordan plays uh, this character, Killmonger, which ex- he exists in the comics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't totally know the connection or the story, but we know he's working with Claw. Mm-hmm. Um, they break Claw out, uh, and T'Challa is like, "Wait, what?" And um, in the moment that they break him out, uh, they shoot at Nakia, who's played by Lupita Nyong'o, and Martin Freeman uh, protects her, and yeah, so she's like, "She's like, we have to. This guy is going to die. Like, yeah. we can we can save him in Wakanda." Right. He will die die. here. Yeah. So they choose to bring in this like white CIA dude to Wakanda um, uh, knowing and they've sort of established, as we said earlier, right? Wakanda is secretly the most technologically advanced country in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Leaps and bounds above what it is. um, uh, Above what it is everywhere else. Uh, and they really, really protect. They seem like they're just farmers is what mm-hmm. like the outside world believes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring him back. Uh, he gets taken care of by Letitia Wright, who plays um, his uh, who plays um, Shuri, who's the little sister of T'Challa. She's a princess. And she's also like chief technology officer for Wakanda, which is yeah, also like the most technologically advanced nation in the world. Right. So like she's Tony Stark. But like, not braggy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like she's unbelievable. She's a total genius. She's using vibranium to do all sorts of things. Um, and simultaneously, as this is going on, Kelmonger is coming back with uh, Claw to to go to Wakanda. And um, in this moment, there's this thing where he's trying to get in without Claw, and Claw grabs his sort of girlfriend by the neck and says like you're not going to go in yada, yada, yada. Like, uh, you know, I'll kill her and Killmonger just shoots the girl and then shoots and kills claw with a little bit of more fanfare. And you're like, wait, what now? Like we thought, claw... yeah, this guy is ruthless and he's yes. running the show, even though we think Claw's the main bad guy. Right. We do. We think Claw's the main bad guy. Well, claw is the main bad guy. Well, from and there, we'll, we'll his... talk about it. Yeah. But, because the the word bad guy is tough in this movie, in some yeah, ways. no, that's true, that's true, true. It's complicated. Uh, so, um, Killmonger comes into Wakanda, and the first thing he does is he runs into Daniel Kaluuya, um, best friend, uh, and brings the body of Claw, which is uh, a big deal because uh, he killed his parents. Claw killed Daniel Kaluuya's, or Wakabi is his character's name, uh, his parents. So. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, tension between him and T'Challa because uh, Wakabi, you said is his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he like, wants, you know, he wants to open borders and be more yes. open about sharing resources and, you know, really, like, wants Claw brought to justice and T'Challa and his father, you know, the king before him. Like we're just more conservative in their approach. Right. And I think there's a there's resentment there that right. yeah. There's sort of whisperings throughout of do we keep Wakanda for Wakandans, right? Do we mm-hmm. keep all our resources to ourselves while the whole world fights? We live in this like peaceful place, 
with like incredible technology. We're very safe. We're very secure. And the world is fighting and the world is dangerous and messy. And so there's Mm -hmm. a bit of a question of like, do we reach out uh, or do we hold it for ourselves? Sort of altruism versus like Mm -hmm. self-defense. And Eric Killmonger comes in and is like, comes into like the straight up throne room and is like, Mm -hmm. hi, I'm actually your nephew has a cute line where he says, Hey auntie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I am, your, I'm the nephew. He shows his little lip tattoo and he's like, I have a legitimate claim to the throne. I get to, I should be allowed to fight him because the process uh, to take the throne, you have to either be a leader of a tribe or of the Royal family. And mm-hmm. then you can um, fight the black Panther. So in there's a, you know, should he, shouldn't he, should he, shouldn't he. And T'Challa is like, fine he can fight me. Like he, he essentially like accepts the legitimacy of the claim and is like, I will fight for this. Yeah. Mantle. Because he does now, he knows at this point, like the, the truth of like, this is his cousin. Right. He, he knows that it. his, he knows that his father. He, that's right. He learned yeah. that his father killed, killed his own brother. Yeah. And that there was a child left behind. Mm-hmm. And so he knows he has a cousin that has been abandoned by the country of Wakanda. Yeah. And he feels very, um, upset about that like he yeah. feels really really torn he like feels like this is the wrong thing to have yeah. done and mm-hmm. his father who he idolized made this mistake mm-hmm. um is a good dude so they fight it out long story short eric killmonger throws him over the waterfall and takes over as king yeah uh, really really beats his butt really beats his butt throws him over a waterfall um it should also be named we didn't say that so black panther is both like is a mantle that is like the protector of Wakanda. But what it also includes is like superpowers. So you mm-hmm. like, so there's this thing where you take like an herb, the heart shaped herb, and it gives you super strength and better instincts and better healing and reflexes and all of these things that makes you stronger. Um, And in the process, they bury the folks and they go into the sort of ancestral plane. Um, This is based in uh, some like ethno traditions of like African culture with this sort of like ancestral plane that you would exist where you would be able to go and stay and see all of your ancestors. Mm. Um, a very pre-Christian viewpoint that is still obviously uh, held in many places. Um, and this was, uh, it's one of the things people so loved about the movie is how much it is grounded in African tradition, not the Black Panther itself, obviously. Right. Um but the way that they sort of took the mythology of the Black Panther and based it in real, um, you know, tradition, and real yeah. African tradition. Um, so uh, when um, T'Challa goes in the first time, he sees his dad. When um, Killmonger goes in, he sees his father and they're completely separated from the family. They're not on the ancestral plane. Mm-hmm. And the dad is kind of saying, like, this is because I betrayed the family and um killmonger says something to the effect of like yeah maybe the issue is, is maybe it's not that we're not with them the issue is they're not with us mm-hmm. and kind of like comes out and now he's black panther and he his immediate plan is i am going to arm black people across the world with our weaponry and our technology we have been um oppressed globally we have been um, robbed. We have had our possessions taken from us, our art taken from us. We've had everything taken from us. I. We are now going to be in charge. 
mm-hmm. um, which is sort of the plan too, which again, this is why it, it, this part of what makes this movie so good is what's interesting is him saying, I want to raise up black people is not the wrong thing. And T'Challa saying, I don't think that colonizing the world, black people first is the right answer either. And so like, right. it really is, while of course there is sort of this duality, you're rooting for T'Challa, you know, Killmonger's basis is a liberationist viewpoint. Yeah, there's like, their underlying motivations are like valid. They're, They're both like, valid. there's, there's, it's logically valid. It is. Um, yeah. I think maybe the way in which, like, you know, whatever we talk about, like we, well, arm, we arming people. Yeah. We'll talk about it. And, you know, I'm very anti gun generally, unsurprisingly. Uh, anyways, so um, the rest of the movie actually falls together pretty quickly. So, they uh T'Challa's family have fled and they go up to the mountain tribe where Mbaku shows that T'Challa's body washed up there and he's being like held in stasis in snow. They give him the last heart-shaped herb because technically he's still king because you can only become king through death or through yielding and he never mm-hmm. yielded in the fight. Right. So he's still technically king but they're sort of two kings. Yeah. Uh Within the like central part of Wakanda, it's a little bit split where some people are choosing to um, follow the the throne. Uh, Okoye, who's the head of his guard, um, and the Dharmalaji, which is the 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 female like warriors that guard the palace. Um, Okoye is loyal to the throne because she serves Wakanda, and Nakia, who's played by Lupita Nyong'o, is like I'm loyal to my country. I'm loyal. To my country and right now right. what's happening on the throne is not loyal to my country and so they end right. up with this split which i think is such a this movie is so good like yeah. holding that duality where both of them are doing what they think is best right um of course uh daniel kaluuya sides with uh wakabi signs with killmonger so they start a little uh and then t'challa comes back Again, we're summing this up very quickly, but the end of the movie actually like moves pretty quick. Yeah, there's like a big battle between these two sides. Big fight between the two sides. At one point, um, Okoye gets Wakabi to surrender so that the Wakandans are not fighting the Wakandans anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two Black Panthers fight it out. Um, T'Challa uses like some of the stuff, the technology that you know weakens his suit, but also weakens the other guy's Black Panther suit. He stabs Killmonger and Killmonger um, says he's always heard that the Wakandan sunset's the most beautiful and he brings him up and they watch a sunset. Um, one of the most poignant and like important things that this that, that, that happens at the end is also Killmonger says when he's like, Do, you know, we'll bury you with whatever. And he says, no, bury me in my in the ocean with my ancestors who would rather die than be enslaved. Yeah, um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but. um. It's a hugely important thing. There are so few films that really talk about, you know, the the mid-Atlantic slave trade that really talk about, like, the ways in which this has happened. And so it's a big deal that in a big popcorn movie, he's really naming, like, let's talk about genocide. There's so many, like, moments like that where they're just, like, going there and talking about it. And that's, I think, why the generational and intergenerational, like, trauma there. Yeah of like oppressed generations of people yeah. and how that carries such a weight with Killmonger and how 
T'Challa and Wakandan people who are kind of isolated from that right. are able to disengage from yeah. that. Like that yeah. that's the real like moral ethical dilemma that I feel like we see is like to engage or not to unify. Yeah. You know, or well, not. and at the end, you know, after Killmonger has died, we assume, um, TBD on Wakanda forever. We don't actually see him dead. So, you know, um, after uh, Killmonger has died, uh, T'Challa and um, Shuri go to Oakland where Killmonger was, where the first scene takes place. And they've bought this entire building and they're starting this like Wakandan outreach where they are going to provide science education, scholarships, like, um, and resources to the world, essentially saying like, we're going to share our technology. And he, and, and Wakanda, he goes to like a UN meeting or something and like mm-hmm. essentially comes out as like that that wakanda is this like incredibly powerful nation yeah it's interesting because he takes it, it is it's sort of honoring like killmonger's wishes in a way of like helping others and realizing how important that is but also like that there are multiple paths to do it like investing yes. in communities increasing you know people of color in stem like things like that versus just giving everyone a bunch of weapons yeah and you know it's just like it's a complicated thing but i think you know at the end of the day like t'challa and killmonger were both approaching it wrong but they had really valid like yeah the answer wasn't do nothing and the answer wasn't arm everyone yeah and they you know, they sort of come together. I mean, in the end, they really do connect and have mm-hmm. like a nice sort of middle ground that they that they find. I mean, of course, Killmonger, you know, died. But uh, again, well, he even said, we like, assume. we can we can probably save you. And he said, like, no, no, I said, that's no. not going to work for me. Um, You know, and w- one of the things that that I love about this movie. So I love superheroes. I love sci-fi. I love fantasy. Um, Historically, Black people are left out of sci-fi and fantasy, which Mm -hmm. sort of produces this undertone that we fantasize about a world without Black people or and or that Black people don't exist in the future. Right. Right. And so like one of the one of the. um, Uh, Well, so. Also, the historical past, when we're like romanticizing the past, like I'm thinking of like Bridgerton, right? Or like, like I, that's something that I think about all the time where I'm like, I would not exist in this, this retelling of this, like in the 1800s, 70s, whatever. But like, it's, it's not just the future. It's the past as well. It's the past. And so like storytelling has erased people of color, like in so many ways. And so in the world of like comic books and sci-fi, so Black Panther is a comic book character that came about in like 1966. And this is also the same year, I think just before that the Black Panther party uh, also came into existence. So these two things exist separately. uh, And yet notably um, they exist together for a little while. Marvel actually changed the character's name to the Black Leopard. Hmm. Uh, because of the Black Panther movement, um, because, again, this movement of black power and black empowerment has been seen as threatening for mm-hmm. a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
Uh, another thing, interestingly, that started to happen in, I think it was the 70s, uh, a huge milestone in sci-fi uh, with Black folks as well was Star Trek. Yeah. So the original Star Trek Ahura. series, Ahura. Um, Gene Roddenberry, when he created Star Trek, really insisted that a diverse number of races be present. This mm-hmm. is the first time that happened. So the first time a Black leading character in a sci-fi film or a sci-fi tv show existed was ahora mm-hmm. in star trek um and she was also a woman which is also mm-hmm. like huge and significant and gene roddenberry I, I mean one of the things that that people love about star trek and continue to love about star trek um is that gene roddenberry sort of it, it created this like meritocracy where it's all about your intelligence and your skills and it was really important to him that if we're going to have the most intelligent the most skilled the brightest people from earth they need to represent different races which i think mm-hmm. is like again just hugely important so mm-hmm. this film is part of a movement called um afrofuturism and what's cool about afrofuturism is it takes uh african ethnic tradition and puts it as an advanced culture because we have such white centered white supremacist views on what um sophistication is on what um technology should look like on yeah, what's modern what's what is modern yeah. what is futuristic what is contemporary right mm-hmm. and so it it there's such a white supremacist bend in all of this that what's amazing about this movie is it puts this like African ethnic tradition at the center of the most technologically advanced society in the world. Like Mm -hmm. it's huge. And this film centered entirely on black characters, black actors, and like African tradition in, in such a way that like had never been, never been done before. Yeah. Apparently Chadwick Boseman, when the initial plot came out, black Panther was, uh, he had no parents. He mm. was sort of like a lonely warrior whose parents were like killed or something like that. And he was, and Chadwick Boseman came onto the project and was like, no, <laughs> not only is he going to have a family, he's going to have a good relationship with his family. There might be some complications, but like this yeah. man is proud of his heritage. He's proud of where he comes from. He is entrenched in his culture. Like, and Chadwick Boseman actually like, really had that um idea uh to to really make that happen um it's not the case in the comics i don't know the comics super well so if y'all are listening feel free to send us a voice memo at real psych on instagram and we'll um but he really did that um sorry i've been talking so much i could go off on like the nerd the nerddom of it all well there's i feel like you know, as a preview for what's coming up after yeah. the break, because we will dive more into that because that's we kind will. of the research that you did. And my research is about that altruism, like, should we, should we not open borders and, yeah. you know, like help others, basically, and what yeah. circumstances allow for that versus not. And like really that tension of the characters in the movie and then also the impact of this movie on society and how yeah. important it is. Yeah. So. Um, so that's right. When we get back, we're going to talk about in-group, out-group, social identity. And we're going to talk about uh, some actual research on what it was like for Black folks to see this film. Because there's some real published research. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, 
right after these messages. See you soon. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are back. Um, all right. Let's start talking about what we're here to talk about, which is psychology and mental health and this movie. Yes. Go off. Okay. So let's, we'll start with, with, with my stuff. Cause I, I feel like I was really struck by like the factors at play in this movie and the motivations yeah. behind the characters. Cause you're totally right. Like Killmonger is not, quote unquote the bad guy like no, he had yeah. a lot of um real like justifications and his motivations were like driven by like wanting to help others right. and like it, it's like weirdly altruistic kind of uh motivations in a way and so i wanted to talk a little bit more about like what makes people want to help others and this idea of like you know open versus closed borders we're not going to talk about immigration or anything but just like what just psychologically altruism which Mm -hmm. you know is is helping others without any kind of beneficial gain to yourself right um so maybe that's not quite like the same (laughs) construct but like doing good for others right yeah um and what that looks like in the face of fear or other kind of like mediating factors that could influence like you know you may think you're an altruistic person um but you know there there are other circumstances and factors that come into play to to like allow people to behave in such a way Mm -hmm. and so i was looking at kind of High-level community-based constructs. Okay. Uh, one of them is generalized social trust. 
Okay. Okay. So this is the idea that, or the belief that people in general are trustworthy. Okay. So this is, this is not about, you know, an institution, an organization. This is about a generalized person. This is also not about thoughts about a specific person, a specific situation. This is how you view the world. It's just, yeah, general. your kind of mm-hmm. general, the generalized person, how much you trust them. Okay. And it's it's really like a reflection of your social environment. Mm-hmm. And so there's studies that show the generalized social trust is associated with increased collective action. And that's mm-hmm. what we'll say kind of instead of altruism. Um, and really that this social trust underlies cooperation, collective action um, in kind of like large groups of people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so this this one of these studies, uh, Sandra Skov, 2011, about generalized social trust and collective action looked at recycling. Mm-hmm. So like how do people behave, um, you know, in terms of the social dilemma recycling mm-hmm. uh, based off of their levels of generalized social trust. Um, and so they uh, looked at just self-reported kind of survey data and they also looked at it across four different countries Mm -hmm. so notably these were like okay denmark and sweden which tend to have very high levels of generalized social trust yeah and the uk and usa which they said is more closer to the world average although right socialism versus capitalism exactly yeah um and so they found that generalized social trust was associated with increased kind of recycling, self-reported recycling behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that that was really only the case if there was like a social dilemma perceived. So like if they felt like, okay, recycling is something that's bad for the environment. And uh-huh. I see this as a social dilemma and they had high social trust, they were more motivated to behave in a way that, that was cooperative, that was collectively right. like, you know, doing recycling right if they didn't really care about recycling see it as a social issue Mm -hmm. no matter what their level of generalized social trust is there's no kind of impact on their behavior so it's really looking at like you know collective action the role of generalized social trust in the face of some kind of dilemma right and i feel like in this movie yeah certainly this is a social dilemma right and it's enough of a social dilemma that this is like speculation, but I mean, they had spies embedded all over the world. Like Lup- Lupita Nyong'o's character is a spy, yeah, is a spy, and you see her kidnapped with other, you know, women and children, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to help people uh, through her work and feeling really, you know, called to that mission. Um, and then you see people like Killmonger, Killmonger's father, who I forget his name, but. You know, who kind of have this, yeah, who kind of have the same motivation, like underlying motivation of like we want to help other people, right? Because we're seeing so much suffering, right? And um, but wanting to do it in a different way. So there, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. These ideas of social trust, right? Like we have to understand what are the things that impact 
social trust, right? If there's low social trust, you're not going to get a lot of cooperative or collective action. Right. Well, um, it, this feels so appropriate. We're recording this on election day as well. Mm-hmm. And like, I, there's a tweet that's going around that's pretty funny. That's like, why are elections always like this? And it was like, 50, it was like 49%, like everybody gets cookies, 51% grandma's house gets burned down or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but it was Mm -hmm. like, why is the election like this? And it's exactly this thing, right? It's this understanding of like social altruism and a belief that if I help the world, then the world will help me back. And so that is why like uh, largely conservative folks or in general, even in this, right? The more conservative people are like, no, no, we're not going to help them because we'll lose ours. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? It, it becomes this view. And so this like socialist, which makes sense, you know, Denmark, Sweden, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they have these social democracies where they're provided for by the government in so many yes. ways. They have great, you know, um, really good health care. They have really good maternity leave. They have all these things, right? And so they believe that if they pay into this system, which they pay a lot of taxes, that the system will give back to them. And we... In the U.S., there's a real fight where people really don't see this as a social justice issue. They see this as an I'm going to lose my hard earned fill in the blank. Yeah, it's a it's a resource sharing kind of problem. And And I think so that actually goes really well into like the next thing that I stumbled on, which is, I guess, a little bit removed from like what we're seeing in this movie. But social identity theory comes up, right? Is like, um. Wakandans or, you know, under like T'Challa's leadership, right? It's like, we need to protect ourselves. We can't open up, you know, our country and our technology to others because of colonization, because of what we've seen happen to countries all over the world, right? whose resources are completely depleted, who, you know, where largely, you know, like white civilizations have completely taken over and oppressed the people who live there. Yeah. And so there this is us versus them. The, yeah, that's the, the it social is an us, identity and it, there's part. a fear-based mm-hmm. component there of yeah. like maybe T'Challa knows that you know he should help other people, but there's fear preventing him from being able to make that decision on behalf of his country mm-hmm. because of the potential ramifications of opening yourself up, right? And so we get into this social identity theory, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but really, you know, it's this idea that shared, you know, there's like uh, in-group favoritism yeah, and out-group bias or, yeah. you know, and, and really like the, the seminal study that I think I talked about before, but basically like, you know, people will treat a member of your own group, even if it's arbitrarily defined on yeah. some random feature um and you'll you'll treat members of your own group more favorably than a member of a different group um and so the idea behind that um by tajfel i not pronouncing that right but really the social identity theory as we know it in group versus out group is like you know people look for evidence that there are shared characteristics of a group that make them better than others since the view of self or ego is generally positive and wants to remain positive. So you'll look for kind of characteristics that make a kind of um, reduce that cognitive dissonance or, you know, like support this like sense of self that like, well, I, I must, I'm generally good. So I must be in a group with other good people and you'll look for shared characteristics, but there's another explanation mm-hmm. for what might be um, 
explaining the phenomenon of in-group favoritism. And it's really based off of um, Yamagishi and colleagues. Um, but really, it's this like group heuristic or like default decision strategy when uh-huh. faced with a situation. So basically, it's based off of that there's a belief that whatever group that you're a part of is part of a system of generalized exchange. And this okay. is what you were talking about. Yeah. There's not really like, you know, people doing favors for one another, like direct reciprocation, like I do this for you, you do this for me. But it's like, um, you know, people pay into or give to a system of shared or like a pool of shared resources that are then, you know, um, given out as needed, right? So like one example that we see of this in society is like blood donation, right? You can donate blood, um, but you're not like, you know, because you need blood back or something. But in the event that you do, there is this system that you have participated in that you can, you know, you can receive the help that you need. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of motivation to, um, to want to participate in this generalized exchange system to preserve resources, right. to share resources. And you also want to minimize your um, risk of exclusion from the system, which is why mm-hmm. you want to participate. And so this is like another kind of reason why there may be in-group favoritism is because, you know, there's there's this idea that we are just trying to share resources, protect one another, um, and that kind of underlying like um belief or assumption that there is this exchange system does not exist with other groups, right? Right. There's like a collective understanding that our resources are pooled, like country right. by country, right? Like this is like you can't like go to a different yeah. group or a different country and expect to like look at the EU. Benefit. It's like yeah. exactly this all the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting in terms of like putting a different perspective on social identity theory or Mm -hmm. like in-group, out-group bias. Um, But there is also, this is Yamagishi again, talking about um, really like what might impact uh, like cooperation, right? And so there's fear and greed are part of this, right? Sure. And so... Um, basically in order for cooperation to, to exist Mm -hmm. or cooperative behavior to Mm -hmm. exist, uh, in social dilemmas, it requires both like not being greedy, not wanting all the resources for yourself and preserving those and a reduction in fear. Right. Mm -hmm. So in studies, there's studies by Pruitt and Kimmel in the 1970s, they looked at people playing a game. And basically, players who single-mindedly pursued their own self-interest showed uh-huh. that greed construct, right? Right, of course. They are, you know, basically uh, excluded by the other members or not trusted anymore because right? they're uh-huh. shown to act in their own greed. Um, and even if they come to realize through repeated playing that they can't be greedy, that if they they, in order to you know, win the game or whatever, they have to mutually cooperate. The other players now have fear about the greed of these players. And there's like the lack of trust there, right? So like 
there needs to be even like quote unquote, they call them like reformed players, even if they begin to cooperate, they're still afraid that yeah. they'll that um they'll be exploited by the greedy players. Right. And so there's these very complicated dynamics of greed and fear that come into play. And like you t- capitalism, what is capitalism? What is capitalism? <laughs> Literally. I mean, what is Fox News, right? It's constantly putting people into a place of fear about the others and about what the others are trying to take, about the ways in which the others are trying to steal from you. They're trying to take your job. They're trying to take your majority standpoint. I mean, sometimes it's so bold and blatant with the ways that they do it that you're like, wait, what? How is this working? And you realize it's because like, because when people watch it, they only know a certain kind of person who's usually older and wealthy and white. Mm -hmm. And so they can use these words to, you know, code these words to mean things like, like when they say American, you know, Mm -hmm. it means white, middle to upper class. Like it means all of these things the way that they use it and they use it in a way that they say like, they're coming into this country to take this from you. And it's like me, what? And they're not naming like, I mean, sometimes they're naming it very uh, directly and racistly, but other times it's so softly sort of coded um, into all of that. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, how do you make people more greedy is by at least increasing the perception that there's limited resources. Right. If you're talking about shared resources, I mean, I saw like some TikTok or some video of um, like interviewing people in Scandinavia right. about taxes. And right. they were like, I love paying my taxes and all of a sudden, you know, and it's just like, what? Like, so what? opposite because they see the benefits of that because they, there is such generalized trust and that generalized exchange system is so Mm -hmm. understood and they see those benefits when they need something the system that they have paid into takes care of them right and we don't see that consistently in the u.s because of you know the way that things are inconsistently you know passed and give and take we've privatized so many things that we've made so many things profitable i mean very famously during the last presidential election donald trump tried to get rid of the post office because it's not profitable and it's like it's the post office right it's not there to make us money it's there so we can mail stuff like it is a service to the public that's the point it doesn't need to be profitable yeah. But like, yeah. So this sort of mentality. And when he uses that argument, though, it's like the sub, the 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 subway, the the uh, post office is losing money. People are like, no, get rid of it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Supposed to. That's good. wild. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I like capitalism, greed can, you know, th- this idea of like, there's not enough resources. There's not. Right. If you take some, if you give, if someone, if some group is being perceived as having something that means I don't get that. Something. That means I don't get it and I don't have it. Yeah. Or so, if you already have it and another group is trying to get it, it seems like they're trying to take it. Right. When like equity or equality, right. It's the issue of like feminism where it's like, why are women trying to be in power? It's like, because they're disempowered. Right. So they're right. just trying to like be the same. Just right. Be like bosses too. And it's like, bah! right. It's, it's interesting. I feel like there's there's a lot of like complicated social and community level dynamics Huge. and kind of like I mean this is social psychology like large community kind of psychology but like 
I just, that was really striking to me in terms of who the the key players in this movie were and what was motivating them and why it's not black and white and why it's not simple to explain who is right versus wrong. Well, and the thing is, all of these messages are so deeply, like, unconsciously entrenched and, and sort of dropped into our entire lives, right? So the idea of, like, of um, indigenousness as savage, as primal, as, you know, all of these other, like, triggering words, as as less intelligent, less sophisticated, less advanced, less, you know, educated, less whatever, 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 right? Because... We've built these systems through, uh, you know, colonialism through which is which is white supremacy, y'all like Mm -hmm. who was going to other countries and saying you should follow our rules, white people. That is white supremacy. So if you're, you know, and it takes we have to separate it and realize like, oh, it's not just they wanted to own the country. It's that they wanted to kill the religion, kill the tradition, take the resources and now sort of supplant their own values, their own resources and their own ruling system. And that's what this movie is really talking about is like mm-hmm. the ways in which whiteness and or colonialism, they even call uh, him a colonizer in, in yeah. the movie, which is really great because he's a white guy. Um, and, you know, they they call him a colonizer. And it's so important to realize that like colonialization has stolen power everywhere that it's ever gone. Mm-hmm. And so like this movie um is so important because it starts to show another example of what power can look like. Yeah. So um fun fact actually just about indigenousness in North America. Uh I learned this last week and it like blew my mind. Uh apparently in the Middle Ages there were 100 million more people living on North America than the continent of Europe. Hmm. That is the like the murder. It's of so it's so wild. Like what we even are. I mean, this is a whole other conversation. A hundred like, what we're million, and we're taught like this was this like empty land with some yeah. like small little villages. There's little people. buffaloes. Yeah, a hundred million more people in yeah. the Middle Ages. Yeah, this was a densely populated continent. Anyways, sorry. Back to that's let's go, a whole let's go to the, other thing. Let's go to the African yeah. diaspora. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to start with before we even start talking about this, right, is just naming the um, the difference in uh, and the underrepresentation of um, black folks in psychology. So in the U.S. population, uh, black people represent about 12 percent. This is black people, people of African descent. Um, I'm going to use the word black today, not African-American primarily, given that we're talking about sort of the broad any children of the African diaspora, which is more centered on blackness than African Americanness, mm-hmm. uh, just as a as a heads up. So, um, in the U.S., in terms of doctorate holders, they represent five percent. Uh, you know, vast underrepresentation, twelve yeah. percent to five percent. Um, in terms of uh, doctorates awarded in 2016, it was ten percent. So we are approaching some equity mm-hmm. here. Early career psychologists. 11%. And now here's where it gets real dangerous. Psychologists in academia, 6%. Health service psychologists, 3%. Oh, wow. And of the broad psychology workforce, 4%. So 
what's important to be holding on to from this? We're, you know, and what's so amazing about this movie is it centers the story on blackness, on African tradition, on all of these things. And we watch it and we're like, whoa, this is blowing our minds. It is as entrenched in whiteness. Every, every single thing in our country is basically as entrenched in whiteness as this film is in blackness. Mm -hmm. So what I'm really trying to say is all the psychology research, I mean, we've talked about this point before, right? The research is, is based on uh, even research today, which is obviously, as you can see, like new doctorate holders, we're almost at parity um, when it comes to like new psychology graduates in 2016. That's great. We're almost at parity. Mm -hmm. Problem is they're the young psychologists, right? So right. when we think about all the research that's being done, even today, while it is prioritizing diversity in a new way. It is based on research that is not prioritizing diversity. It is based in heuristics and culture and assumption of whiteness. Mm -hmm. So everything that we're talking about is even flawed in its own origin because the scientific method is made for and by uh, white people and mm -hmm. colonizers. The ways in which we view culture is typically first and foremost from this viewpoint of other. There is whiteness and there is other. And what's interesting when you talk about things like, you know, social identity models and things like that, whiteness, they've done such an amazing job of uh, removing cognitive dissonance by actually removing white identity from white people so that we see, we don't see whiteness as the dominant culture. We see normal, mm -hmm. right? So they've pulled race out of American culture and American identity, but by pulling race out of it, what they do is they leave other and normal. And right. so it becomes this really, really potent, toxic, scary thing. We see it all the time in media when it comes to like when we're how we represent um, uh, how we represent people who have committed crimes, how we represent and discuss people, you know, different things like types of terrorism, where if it's an American, doing this for their own cause. There's a real emphasis in understanding their mental health and understanding their history and what's gone on. Whereas if they are um, representing like a culture or a nation with a different cause, they are this like sort of monolithic, mm -hmm. like for instance, like uh, Muslim or Islamic folks where like mm -hmm. it becomes this like, oh, they're that's what they're like. Whereas when uh, a white and American person does something, it becomes about his mental health. So I just want to name that as we start to talk about like what, what's so important about this film. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots of things that are sort of self-evident, right? Just social learning theory, the ways in which we represent people in media teaches people how we think they should think about themselves. It teaches, it teaches us how to think about others, no matter what your identity, and it teaches us how to think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one of the things that is so key in this movie is how does this movie uh, make black people feel after seeing it? Mm -hmm. How does it inform? How do they explore their identity through this movie? Because this movie is hugely important. Um, even just anecdotally, like the, the symbol of Wakanda forever right over left has become this sort of like black national, like movement, right? Where people you'll see people that are not in any way attached to the film, you know, doing the Wakanda forever, um, symbol. It's, it, it's incredible. It's powerful. And it was so, this movie is so entrenched in blackness that like it, you know, it blew people's minds. You um, know, just to add to that though, cause I feel like there's another kind of thing to add to this, which yeah. is the, not just 
that, you know, how this movie was made, who it was made for, the careful way in which it was crafted and representing Black people, but the success of the film. Huge success. it was a huge success. It, it like, transcended, yeah. right? Like, because it could kind of play with, yeah. like, the other blockbusters and in a capitalist stage, right? Right. And show that kind of like, or demonstrate that profitability. Right. Like, I think there's additional like consideration for this movie specifically. I mean, hugely. I, this is obviously not the same, but I think about The Bachelor uh-huh. <laughs> when Rachel was yeah. the bachelorette and it was like the lowest ratings ever. And like, people were like, all, and no one was saying, kind of the subtext there yeah but like rachel has said it many times yeah, actually yeah she's so cool amazing but it's like you know it's not just the fact that they are you know representation matters and that they're putting emphasis into representation but representation matters and is profitable and and yeah without making excuses for not doing it well and that's the thing right and and we can, should yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad you're saying that too because there's a lot of incredibly well done important black films yeah, there's a lot of films that have represented blackness in so many powerful ways, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there are huge there are even some really big blockbusters. Spike Lee um, is one of the most famous black filmmakers of all time. I mean, Ryan Moonlight, Coogler. like the whole thing, I mean, like <laughs> Moonlight was incredible. Yeah. Um, Ava DuVernay, John mm-hmm. Singleton, like there mm-hmm. are amazing and even all the way back into like the history of like. Um, Marcus Garvey and all sorts of things. There's there's a really amazing and rich history of blackness in Hollywood. Right. This film was the highest budget and made the most money of mm-hmm. any black film of all time. It made $1.3 billion. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. Um, so I found a study that was actually called Exploring Identity and Coping Among Black Viewers of Marvel's Black Panther. Um, I wanted to go really on the nose with this, especially because, as we've said, we're not speaking to our own experience here, right? We're spe- So I wanted to go with the experts. So this is by Dogen, Dogen Rosencrantz, Wheeler, Hargens, um, through uh, the University of Kentucky and the University of South Florida. And this study took 137 Black viewers, age 16 to or age 19, excuse me, to 63. Um, 90% of them heterosexual and looked at the movie's influence on their coping strategies, uh, for racism and racial, uh, discrimination. So it's pretty cool, right? So what they're doing is they're trying to see basically looking at this movie and, and after the movie being like, how do you feel about racism? How do you feel about blackness in Mm -hmm. several dimensions? So, um, they found these like different sub themes, uh, which you know to to look at blackness as a spectrum, right? Racial something called racial centrality. So understanding and one of the things people love about this is the diversity of blackness within the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so blackness as a spectrum. They looked at salience, right? So how how representative is it of you, and also how much does it put you in awe of blackness, right? How poignant, how important, how really on the nose is it? Um, the idea of public and private regard, right? So. Do black people seem accepted and humanized? Is there an appreciation of black beauty? Um, does it counter common stereotypes? Um, and we could go off on a whole podcast about black beauty. 
um, and mm-hmm. racism within the beauty industry, racism within There's a lot of social psychology actually about whether black and white children prefer black and white babies, uh, mm-hmm. baby dolls. Very famous studies that have not been done recently, but I know when I started grad school 10 years ago, the studies are not great. We teach black children to prefer whiteness is sort of what these studies show. Um, And then the last thing they looked at was uh, ideology, right? So do they feel troubled by disconnection? Do they feel a desire for community and unity? Or does it give them hope through resiliency? Um, And so within all of this, they found um, that that people enjoyed the sort of escape from reality. Uh, they enjoyed the hope for the future. Um, and they found that like the, the sort of general connectedness that came through the film was really, really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. They found that, you know, um, this, this, this film, cer- certain participants said that they, it helped them identify their unique strengths um, and that their ability to appraise their self-worth in comparison to others within their group was was improved and that they experienced this sort of like positive racial regard, which is, I think, a big part of when we talk about people being so thrilled to engage in like the Wakanda forever, like hand signal and things like that. It is this sort of pride in blackness um, because this film sort of dismantles these ideas of um, interracial in intra-racial violence that mm-hmm. are so commonly the themes even within this film there's a very short scene in which wakanda is sort of infighting and it's resolved peacefully and it is resolved you know um quickly right it's not a huge long thing and it's a difference in ideology right mm-hmm. um they found that uh they enjoyed that it helped people sort of embrace notions of positive public regard uh and that they felt like it was a film that really celebrated uh, blackness. They felt like these these images specifically countered stereotypes that are embedded in media, um, and that it actually like people showed higher levels of beliefs about how black people can work together to overcome systems of oppression. Which, going to your research, right? This idea of um, particularly for and again, this is a generalization, but. Uh, there are there is a higher representation of black folks in the lowest socioeconomic class of the United States, right? And mm-hmm. so the people who are within lower socioeconomic classes believing that they are it's every man for themselves or that they have to, you know, that they have to uh, disengage from altruism in order to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. So what they're saying is this actually like helped enhance this belief. Um, they also found that like this movie really, mirrored what they knew of black intellectualism, black spirituality, traditions, right? Where these traditions are not seen just as, you know, the 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 sort of white stereotypes often lean into this like, you know, small town, like, you know, little family, you know, like um well the the idea of like roots comes from this this sort of uh, enslaved tradition where it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, there, there are these traditions, but they're not powerful. They are not, uh, you know, aggrandized. They are not ingenious. Right. And seeing the ways in which the richness of all of this really helped people find, um, just a, a more, uh, powerful presentation of a powerful black nation, this utopia of blackness. Yeah. That's actually it, untouched by white supremacy. Yeah. I think like, the the dominance there or like the black excellence that's uh-huh. demonstrated and then the way that that um was able to dominate culture 
just mm-hmm. generally like because there, there's this whole thing about like yeah white supremacy being seen as a default right or like whatever is perceived as the dominant culture right, right. that's who has the privilege and there's you know privilege and just being part of that group and i feel like this movie dam- not only within the movie the characters the character development demonstrating black excellence in a futuristic way or like a fantasy way which Honestly, like, I think with some of the more historically based pieces that are like, this is Black history, um, there's a lot of, like, white guilt and shame that people are like, I don't want to watch this because this makes me feel bad about myself. Right. So we make films like, like, what's the the, the Sandra Bullock thing? The the blind side? Yeah. We want to see. Right. We want to see, or like, as a society, we want to see Black people only succeed based off of the infrastructure that we already built. Totally. And so totally. for us to like even uh, create a movie or see a movie where, you know, it is completely black centric. Right. It is an infrastructure and a society and institution created by black people for black people. And in a meta sense to like dominate uh, the box office, to dominate right. awards, to dominate Marvel. Right. You know, this huge company led by a white dude, like mm-hmm. that is the social kind of capital of that is what I think has made it such a powerful like statement and Absolutely. such a powerful part of culture. Absolutely. And yeah. And the importance of this film, it really just goes to show that like very truly like the psychological impact of positive media representation mm-hmm. is that it increases the self-esteem and empowerment of black people. It matters. Which right? is. I, I, which is also through different studies, a fairly generalizable view. If mm-hmm. we show empowered media fo- to marginalized folks, they will feel empowered. They mm-hmm. will feel powerful. They will feel mm-hmm. important. They will feel valuable because the, you know, we've got such, the whole world is through this lens of whiteness, whether it's intentional or unintentional. We actually have to be intentionally focused on the marginalized experience in right. order to really empower people because the passive approach won't do it. Right. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's cool. I, I just feel like, yeah, there, cause there is such a meta component of like, okay, what's the psychological themes of the people in this movie, but also what is the psychological impact of this film? Yeah. And, and like to talk about both. That I feel, yeah. I, I, to, to cover both. I feel like that's, um, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. Because <laughs> um, we kind of like got there. Yeah. Like uh, we got there. Yeah. Our first superhero film. I'm so thrilled to do it. Um, so again, as our format just keeps evolving and changing, what we're going to do is we're going to be right back after one more set of messages. And then we are going to do our little preview for next week. So Yay. we will see you in just a second. BRB. Burb. All right, we are back. We just finished up Black Panther. And now we're going to tell you what's coming next week. So, Joanna, let's do a little guess off. Yeah, I definitely did not 
forget to choose a movie and chose one five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> um, so don't worry about that. Thank but, God. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is uh, quite a change in theme for what we've done the last few weeks, but still on brand with kind of this is our sweet spot. We're returning to our sweet spot. Early 2000s. Yep, it's 2002. All right. Um, and Ooh, I'm a sophomore in high school. <laughs> I'm almost ready to come out, you guys. <laughs> almost. Uh, yeah, no, so, okay. So there's only one tagline that I saw, but um, I'm sure we'll get there. The okay. tagline I saw was, this season, love checks in. This season... Love checks in. So it's some sort of hotel. Yes. Hotel. It's this season. Uh, The season is not really, I think, I think this season is more about marketing of the the movie. 2002. Mm -hmm. This season, love checks in. Uh, Can you give me a genre? It sounds like a romantic comedy, huh? It's a rom-com. It's a rom-com. Um. This season, love checks in. I mean, under the Tuscan sun is not check in because she buys the house. Yeah, although that and was that definitely two thousand three. You're on the right track because I was like on my short list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, is it? Uh, I need. I need some. I need something. It is one of our favorite actresses slash triple threats. Meryl Streep. No. That we've talked about before on the pod. Amanda Bynes? No, we ha- I don't know if we've... Emma Stone? No, no. that's this is before Emma Stone. 2002. Time. 2002. Is um, one of my particular... No, we both love her a lot. Julia Roberts? No. But almost... Sandra Bullock? <laughs> no. You're on the right track. Keep listing her contemporaries. <laughs> True Barrymore. Reese no. Witherspoon. No. Reese without her spoon. No, your privilege is showing. Yeah, right. Oh God. Oh, okay. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, triple threat. So she can sing. Yeah. Well, not according to everybody, but according to me, she can. Okay. Um, Jennifer Lopez. It sure is. Is <laughs> It's Jennifer Lopez, and it is 2002, checks in. It's not Monster-in-Law. Is it The Wedding Planner? No. Is it Hotel? Oh, it's made in Manhattan. It sure is. I (laughs) friggin' love this movie. Can I tell you a secret? Please. Don't tell anyone. I won't. I've not seen this movie. Isn't that wild? I don't know how. I have no idea how I never have seen it and sat down and have seen it. It has Amy Sedaris. It's it has Natasha. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me that I have not seen it, but it's just it just slipped through my fingers. Yeah, so I'm very excited. Oh my god, Made in Manhattan. I love this movie. I've seen this movie a million times. Uh, you're right. That was racist that I just kept guessing white <laughs> actors. Although also just a representation of who was doing movies in 2002. Yeah, it's I, not. Yeah. I'm part of the system. I'm within the system. I'm the product of the system. <laughs> Let's acknowledge it. Yeah. 
Um, but also statistically, you were those were good guesses. They were solid guesses for the early two yeah. thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma Stone was not. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, definitely like different tone. From slightly history. different tone. Yeah, it's gonna be gorge. Um, yeah, we'll have fun. We will have fun. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Real Psych, you guys. I'm I have Dr. been Dr. Do- I cut you off. You go first this time. Okay. Well, I've been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. And I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. Thank you for listening. (laughs) How dare I? How dare I? No, it's really fine. My privilege (laughs) has been showing. Apparently, you know, maybe I shouldn't be going first anyways. Um, Anyways, rate us, review us, subscribe, tell a friend. Check us out on YouTube. Share this link. Um, our YouTube is mini baby, but it's growing. Teeny baby. Uh, our podcast, our like audio podcast. Y'all continue to listen. We love you for that. Uh, and we will be back next week with another episode of Real Psych. Psych. <laughs> no, Psych. we'll be back. No, we'll, we'll be, be back. back. <laughs> That's true. We will. All right. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.